Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So, as we've been going through this study of the book of Matthew, considering it the the Messiah who was prophesied to come, and Matthew being a Jew, revealing him to the Jewish people, um, we have considered his lineage and going through from that perspective into the forerunner and the preparation and such. And But in that, we considered in the forerunner, the forerunner was John the Baptist, okay? John the Immerser, who was going to come, and he declared that Jesus was coming, and he's the one who actually baptized Jesus as well, immersed him. But then we continued on looking at Jesus um, giving his message of repentance and following him and then the standard of the kingdom. And then from that, we went into considering the authority of Christ and how he displayed that um, authority over the physical realm, the, the psychological realm, if you would, and then the spiritual realm. And then I moved into what I was, was going to say, the, the disciples of disciples of the Messiah, but I, I have changed my whole outline structure. So if you're tracking with that, you just want to know it. It's not like a big deal, but I've now put that as a subset under there as part of the, the uh, his authority, and that was the delegation of his authority to his disciples. And today we want to look at this next section um, of the doubting of his authority. And so many times we can we can become focused on a particular tree and miss the forest. We've talked about that a lot as we've gone through this um, study of the scriptures in over seven years, looking at it in larger segments rather than just grabbing a verse here or there and, and, and doing that. And in this passage, there are a couple of those places which can become, um, we, we can get a rabbit hole into. You know, what does it mean that the, the kingdom of God is suffering violence? I'm not going there today. Okay? I want to look at the, the bigger picture of what's happening here, and that is the doubting of Jesus' authority. Okay? And it's really interesting that because doubt, doubting, actually can come from two, two diverse areas. There is, there is truly um, innocent, honest doubting that comes from just a um, bewilderment, um, uh, and, uh, not understanding how things can be, a confusion, but there's also a doubt that actually stems from the desire to reject and rebel. I just don't want to believe. And so I think of, in my mind, James 1, 22 to 25, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if he is a, a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his face in the glass, and straightway he beholds himself, he goes away and forgets what manner of man he was. Well, there's that concept there of that, that guy who's looking into the Word, and he becomes then distracted from what he has read. Clearly, you can be reading God's Word in the morning. Hopefully you do that every morning. You have your quiet time. And as you're reading God's Word, what happens? You get distracted. I, I'm thinking my distractions. I'm thinking the kids might start waking up. Marsh is coming out of the, the bathroom. Someone asks me a question. The coffee's done. Uh, Shiloh's nudging my, my, my leg and wants to go outside. If I'm here and I'm doing my quiet time here, all of a sudden I hear uh, construction trucks going, eh, 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 you know, and all of a sudden there's distractions that are going on. They're honest distractions. They're innocent distractions. Make sense? And you just all of a sudden, you're what? You're torn away from the Word of God and you begin to what? Forget what you have read. But there's also times when, honestly, 
if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, it doesn't matter because God knows us anyway, right? That we start to read something and we don't what? We don't really like it. We don't want to really know what this is really saying. At this moment, we're kind of starting to feel convicted and we start to have not an innocent distraction, but rather we start to look for distractions, okay? And, and that's kind of the, the idea there, okay? It's, and so this concept of intent goes all the way into the law. There were sins of innocence. They didn't mean to. But there's also sins of, 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 of intent that you meant to do this. And so they go into, for example, if you kill somebody. There's a difference between killing somebody and murdering somebody. Am I right? Okay. What's murder? Mr. Police Officer. With malice and forethought. Okay. You meant to do it. There was intent to do it. But if you just kill somebody, we call it manslaughter. And the Word of God does too. So I want to bring that concept into this, this passage where we're going to be face-to-face with two groups of people that are doubting the authority of the Messiah, wondering oh, what's going on with this Jesus. Okay, And the first one is we get this, this, this glimpse into John, which is really an amazing thing for me. I, I don't know... I mean, when I, when I consider Abraham, you know, who hears the voice of God and then he goes to Egypt and he calls his wife his sister because he's worrying about saving himself, right? And he sees what God has to do and he comes back into, into the land and then he goes to the land of Gerar and he does what? He does the exact same thing. I start, I start beating my head and I go, ah, Abraham, what is going on? If, if I heard the voice of God, I certainly wouldn't. And I think, okay, so you have heard the voice of God in a sense, you know, you, 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 and you do do this. Time. But it's, it's, it's a warped kind of refreshing if, if you if you would, it's a warped kind of refreshing that you kind of you 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 look at these men of God, and they what? They had doubts. They blew it at times, right? So here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. I mean, of all people, to have a doubt. I mean, do you get it? I mean, I don't I mean I don't know. I mean, John the Baptist. He's the one who saw Jesus before he baptized them, and said to everybody, what? Behold, finish it out for me, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we read it. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, I can't baptize you. I'm not worthy to even undo one of your latches. But yet, right here in the beginning, as Chuck has read, we see that there's a delegation coming from John, his disciples, who asked Jesus a question, presumably from John. I'm going to say presumably, because we're going to look at this in just a moment. So this doubt of confusion is the first thing we want to do. And you see this inquiry of John, where we're told, are you, even you, the coming one? Okay, And literally, that's what it says. Are you the coming one? Um, or should we anticipate another? And it's literally another of a different kind. So this coming one is just kind of fun. Because it's a, a present active participle, okay? And so it's not necessarily referring to um, an individual, though it is, but it's the activity of the individual. He's the coming one, okay? And so that goes back into, into the prophecies regarding Messiah, because he was going to be the coming one, okay? And so they're looking for this coming one. And so, so everybody understands that the intent of what they're asking is, are you the Messiah? But then they say, or should we anticipate another? 
But again, in the Greek, and if you remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when we were going through spiritual gifts, there are two words for other in Greek. There is the word alas, which we use like with alamorph and that kind of stuff. It's another of the same kind. But there is the word ekanos, okay? Not ekanos, sorry. Heteros, heteros, thank you. Um, heteros, which is another of a different kind. Heterosexual. Okay, you love people of a different kind. Make sense? Okay, so you have others, so you have an alas, and you have the heteros. The word here is used for is a heteros. Are we looking for someone who is different than you? So you need to stop and ask yourself, what is not just the meaning of it, but what's the motive of it? And that is, again, Matthew is talking to Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah. And so you have to realize what the Jewish people were looking for. Jewish people were looking for a, a deliverer, like in the days of the judges. So if you remember when we went back through the book of the judges, you know, we had this cyclical thing that the, that the people would go through, right? They would sin. They would turn away from God. God would hand them over to the enemies. You know, they would mourn. They would ultimately repent. God would send them a deliverer, Okay. So that's what they are looking for. So now, what were these deliverers, though? What did these deliverers all have in common, if you would? Did they come, and did they offer themselves as a sacrifice for the people's sin? No. What did the deliverers do? They delivered them spiritually, psychologically, or physically? Physically. Good. Okay, we'll choose door number three. Okay? They delivered them physically. They delivered them as a nation. So all of Israel is looking forward to this Messiah to come. But they're looking forward to a deliverer. A deliverer who's going to do what? Defeat Rome. He's going to deliver them from the power of Rome. Just as they were delivered from the, the powers of the Ammonites and the Moabites and, and everybody in the past. Say again. The Philistines, over and over again. You know, That's exactly right. So this Messiah is going to come. He's going to be able to overcome Rome. But apparently, Jesus wasn't what? Filling that picture. And people started to what? Say, say again? Question. Start to wonder. And so note, though, that, that, that in this question here, are you, even you, the coming one, or should what? Should we? If the question is really coming from John, then it would be what? So John wants to know if he should be anticipating another one. But I wonder if really this question really is more coming from the disciples of John. Does that make sense? I think John is probably a little perplexed too, because John is a Jewish individual. He knows all the, the, um, the prophecies, but not necessarily is he given every single detail of Jesus' life. We always kind of think like, well, John must have known everything. But John wasn't Jesus. Does it make sense? So I'm sure he's still a little bit clueless to the ultimate full um, full ministry of Jesus. And yet he knows, as we've already shared, that Jesus is going to be what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's probably all trying to perplexed here, trying to figure out how all this is going to think this playing together because Jesus isn't ultimately fulfilling that final thing. He's not making any moves to set up a earthly kingdom. 
And so there's a little bit of confusion that's going on. So Jesus then responds to it. I love this. Because note when Jesus comes back to these disciples of John, there is the absence of, now this is an argument from silence, but there's the absence of condemnation. Who do you think you guys are? Have you not been watching everything that's been going on? I cannot believe you guys. Just get out of my sight. I mean, who do you? He doesn't do that. We'd almost want to do that. Have you been blind? But rather he doesn't. He comes back to them softly. And he gives them the presentation of the truth. Go back to John. Tell him what you know. Tell him what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him, to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Last month, this is kind of fun actually, this passage is kind of the convergence of last month's memory verses and this month's memory verses. Okay? Last month's memory verses, we, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation, your lifestyle, be made known unto all men, because the Lord is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is near, right? So the Lord is at hand. So just in the same way, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, the next verse, which we didn't memorize last month, goes, goes on and says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Legitsomai is the, the word think there. It's where we get our word logistics from. Okay, And the idea is that you are pondering them. It's an accounting term where you're going to spend time pondering these things and thinking about them. So, many times, if I'm counseling somebody who's struggling with depression or whatever, what we want to do is we want to get index cards and we want to write on the front of it. True. Next one. Honest. Next one. Just. Next one. Pure. Next one. Lovely. Next one. Virtuous. Next one. Um, good report. And on the back, we want to write the things that are what? True and honest and just and pure and lovely. Okay? So when we go through it, the idea is I want to set my mind on truth. Because Satan is the deceiver. He's the destroyer. And he always wants to make us doubt. I tell the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm honest. Every time you come to my door, you in a sense solidify my faith. Because when we're done, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to study this thing out again. Because I want to know the truth. And as I study God's word, I find out more and more that Jesus is God. He is Yahweh in the flesh. So every time you guys come to challenge me, you actually wind up solidifying my belief even more and more and more. Because I'm going to go back to what I know is true. When we don't spend time in God's word, then we don't have as our basis, as our source, as our foundation, the things that are true. And we become dead meat, if you would, 
people who want to cause us to be deceived. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, real quick. Look at the church. We're, we're, um, we're told that God has given gifts to the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers, right? And as we see those gifts, beginning in verse 11, that, that we're told about, he gives them to the church for a specific reason. So, verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints into, it says literally in the Greek, into, not for, but into the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, being what? Tossed about. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery, the chicanery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fit together, so on and so forth. But the whole idea there is that in the church, in the body, there is going to be this potentiality of confusion, of doubting, of distraction, if you would. And so that as you go on, Satan is going to work with you, if you would, like he did with Eve. And he's going to, did God really say? He questions God's word, right? And he puts into her mind some other thoughts, so that then Eve and then Adam do what? They walk away from what they knew. Do you get it? I mean, she starts to recant, or recant, recall directly what Adam had told her that God had said. Remember, God didn't tell Eve. God told Adam, and Adam was responsible to tell Eve. And so when she comes back and says, no, God said this, that means that Adam did his job initially. Does that make sense? So she goes back to what is true and states it, but then the, the war continues. So eventually she takes her eyes off of the truth and puts it on the lie. And she chooses, as Roman 1 says, that she chooses to believe the lie. That's what God, we're told in Romans chapter 1, why the wrath of God is poured out upon men. Because knowing the truth, they choose to believe the lie. And they choose to exchange the glory of God, the creator, for the image of the creation. It's a very important thing. The point is here that doubts are going to come. They even came to John, and even to his disciples, whom John is teaching and telling them. Did anybody know um, two notable disciples of John? Good, James and John. Okay, I'm not sure if it was James, but it was John, and I think it was Andrew, um, Peter's brother. John and Andrew were actually disciples of John the Baptist before they became disciples of Jesus. Kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Okay, and so so we know that John must have been very powerful in, in, in revealing who Jesus was. And yet, he's now in prison. Think about it. He's in prison. Nobody's come to storm him out. Jesus didn't come to visit him, apparently. And he's probably hanging out in prison trying to figure out What's really happening here? He thought he was going to be the herald going before 
the king. But now the herald is where? In prison. What would happen if the Gestapo came in here today? I know we don't have a Gestapo. But who knows what will happen in 20 years, right? And gathers us all up and sends us to the, the camp. Sends us to prison. Because we're defying the government's authority by meeting together to worship God. You say it won't happen. It couldn't happen. But if you were here for Sunday school, right, we've been talking about how Jeremiah gives the message to Syria. So when he goes to Babylon to, to read this prophecy over Babylon and then throw it into the, into the, into the um, Euphrates, he, say, he tells him, when you look at the city, remember this. Because when you look at that city, you're going to say to yourself what? There's no way this could happen. There's no way this great city could ever be overthrown. We look at our nation and we say there's no way that our great nation can be overthrown. Doubts come. I'm bewildered. I'm just honest. I mean, I share this. As a math guy, I can't comprehend God. God created the entirety of the universe. That's beyond, I mean, my head spins on that. And that's why I shared that this time of this time of the year, this season, is the most remarkable time for me. Because not only then that God is the one who spoke everything into being, and it is, but I have to believe by faith in this season, every year it comes back to me, that God didn't just speak everything into existence, but then he placed himself, or part of himself, however you want to play this thing out. But the three is yet what? One, as a zygote. Not a baby. He didn't come as the baby. That's hard to believe by itself. But he was a cell within the womb of Mary. <laughs> expanding, 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 expanding. When did the heart develop? When did the brain develop? I mean, this is nuts kind of stuff. I mean, that's God. Did it really happen? Or didn't it happen? Scientifically, that's a mind-boggling thing for me. I accept it based upon faith. I know it to be historically true. God has revealed in his word through, through prophecies and through history and through the, the, the things we found archaeologically that God has declared all these things. And I know his word is true. I know it is the word of God. And so if his word has declared it, I know it to be true. And therefore I have to what? Accept it. Even if I don't understand it. I have to always go back to that which is true. Does that make sense? Okay? So, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took the disciples back to it. But then he continues on. And he begins instructing the crowd. And he begins to instruct the crowd about John. Now, this is kind of cool. Because he doesn't disrespect John at this moment. He could have. I mean, John's doubting at this moment, right? At least that's what his disciples are saying. But John lifts, or Jesus, Jesus lifts John up. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? What, what did you, you all went out there. Everybody was getting baptized by John in the Jordan. So what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see somebody in fine raiment? Somebody who was going to be living in a, in a palace like a king? But what did you see? You saw a guy... He was in camel's hair. This is really interesting. 
What's the picture that Jesus is painting of John? Who is he in that, who is he showing the analogy to? Elijah. Elijah and Elisha, specifically Elijah. Elijah was the, the paramount prophet. Everybody was waiting for Elijah. And, and everybody's waiting. And, he, and so he says to him, I tell you, Elijah has come. He even looked like him. <laughs> he ate locusts and, and, and wild honey. And yet you guys what? You rejected him too. You went out to hear the message. You went out to get to be baptized. But did you continue on in his teachings? Later on, when Jesus is, 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 is tested in the um, temple before, the, before his crucifixion, one of the things they ask him is, by whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. John the Baptist. By whose authority did he do what he did? Well, you know the answer, right? They go back together, and they don't want to answer, because they know, they know where the authority came from. Well, if we say it was from God, then he's going to say, then why don't you listen to him? But if we say it's from men, then the people are going to stone us. It really reveals their heart, doesn't it? And so they come back, and they what? They lie. They lie. I don't know. Isn't that kind of cool? Jesus doesn't sit there and say to them, you're liars. I mean, he could. He could kind of make a billboard on top of their heads that kind of showed everything they were thinking at that very moment. You know, here's what you're really thinking. Let's put up, you know, we have, you know, have a slide projection. Here's what you're thinking. He didn't say that, he, but he, what he answers them and says what? Then neither will I answer you. Because <laughs> what's he really saying? You don't want to answer me, so I'm not going to answer you either. You do know. We'll get to that in a moment. That's the doubt of rebellion and rejection. So what did you go out in the wilderness to see? I tell you, there is not among the prophets a greater than John the Baptist. But even John, as great as he is, is least in the kingdom of heaven. This is pretty powerful stuff. What is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is proclaiming? Change the way you think. Metanoia, repent. Change the way you think. Because the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And John wasn't a part of it. Isn't that interesting? John is the forerunner of the king. And yet he himself, according to what Jesus is saying, isn't necessarily a participant in the kingdom of the heavens. He's least. I should say participant. He's the least of those who are in it. How can he be the least? How can he be the least of those who are participating in the kingdom of the heavens? Anybody got a thought? Say again. He's not God. Yes. But I think the equation is going to us people. Okay? Think about this. Did John have a choice? No. He didn't. Some are saying yes. No. John didn't have a choice. He was chosen from the womb. I mean, the, 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 the angel came to Zacharias, remember, when he was in the temple? 
And it says, Elizabeth, your wife's going to have a, a child. And he's going to be a Nazarite from the, from the time that he is born. He didn't have a choice. Just like Jeremiah didn't have a choice. Jeremiah was chosen to be a prophet from the time he was in his mother's womb. Did Paul, Saul, have a choice? Yes, but no. I mean, God was going to use him, right? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Give it up, Paul. You are going to be my servant. You are going to be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. There are clearly certain individuals, some would say everybody, but whatever, I think certain individuals, who are clearly chosen by God for a specific task. They have not a choice. And clearly God is is making an equation here, Jesus, on the earth, between those who did it because they did it by compulsion and those who did it by decision. We can debate that one, but I still believe in the mystery between free will and and election. How they come together, I don't know, but I think there's multiple places in, in God's word where he reveals both sides of those. And this is one of those things, I think, one of those places where I think it's revealed. And so John, though he was the greatest among men and the greatest among the prophets, yet he was considered least in the kingdom of the heavens. Now, he then goes on to this next phase with this doubt of rejection. And he doesn't spend a lot of time. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. You can see that on your sermon note sheets, there's no subpoints here. But the first thing we see is this woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida. And I put the map up here because this is very important to see. Do you see where these two cities are located? They're up there in northern Galilee where Jesus had made his primary stomping grounds. Okay? They had seen his miracles. They were part and parcel. These guys in Bethsaida, they were fishermen as well. In fact, some of the, the, his disciples were from Bethsaida. They had seen, they had known of the teachings and miracles of Jesus. And yet we don't see hear of them overwhelmingly coming to the support of Jesus and Messiah. He says to them, Woe are you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. This is a huge statement. Tyre and Sidon worshipped false gods. They had idols. And Jesus said, look, if I had to send a prophet to them, if you would, like I sent a prophet to Nineveh, they would have repented, just like Nineveh did, in sackcloth and ashes. Isn't that what happened in Nineveh? Jonah didn't like it, did he? I mean, Jonah didn't want to go, because he knew that God was what? A God of grace and a God of mercy. He was going to go, he was going to proclaim the the message of God and the people were going to repent and God was going to be gracious and kind to them and he didn't want it. But see, I think Jonah as a prophet knew that eventually Assyria, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, would be the ones who would come and they would destroy Israel. And so he was hoping God would wipe out the, the, the Ninevites so that ultimately they wouldn't wipe out the Israelites. It's kind of weird, but think that one through. So, so Jesus is using the same picture here with Tyre and Sidon. Because he's not going to use uh, the Ninevites, because they what? They did do it. 
But he says to them, so if I would have done it for Tyre and Sidon, they would have what? They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But here are you, supposedly my people, my chosen people. I've come to you, and I'm doing all these wonderful works. I'm teaching you all this marvelous truth. And you what? (sighs) That's exciting. Can we have another one? But their lives what? Didn't change. They didn't repent. They didn't ultimately change the way they think. And it was revealed in what they did. This wasn't just simple little doubting. This was total rejection. They saw it. They had to make a decision. What are you going to do with these works? What are you going to do with these teachings? Are they going to change your life? Are you going to believe that he is who he appears to be? Or are you going to turn the other way and go on with life as it is? Think about this when you witness to people and you give them the gospel. Have you ever met somebody who seemed to be just slightly convicted? And then they had to make a what? A decision. And so many of them choose what? To repress it. And go live life as if the conviction never came. That's these people. But it then goes on to Capernaum. So woe to you, Capernaum. You who are exalted to heaven, exalted to heaven, we'll get to that in a second, will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So let's talk about Capernaum, exalted to heaven. Because it doesn't sound like, what's that mean? What is Capernaum known for? And in, in as we're going through with Matthew. It's Jesus' adopted hometown. He lived there. He lived amongst them. How amazing is this? It wasn't like he visited for a day. He stayed for a week. He made it their hometown, his hometown. It was their synagogue where we're going to be seeing a lot of these miracles. That's where Peter's house was. So everybody from all around were bringing the what? The sick, the demon-possessed, in order for Jesus to what? To heal them. And they saw it. They're the, the, all remember all those little boats that went out with him over toward the, the demoniacs of the Gadarenes? We didn't capitalize on that a lot, but we talked about it, that it wasn't just a boat with the disciples in it, but there were other little boats that were going with them. Where do you think those people were from? They had to be from Capernaum and, and Bethsaida. They saw all these things. Do you think news got back? Hey, do you remember that storm that happened on Wednesday? Whoa, it was a big one, wasn't it? Do you remember how it stopped immediately? Can I tell you exactly what happened when that storm stopped? Jesus stood up, and I can't believe it. I mean, we were there, we were going to drown, the disciples were drowning, and all of a sudden over in that boat, Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still, and it's all of a sudden, boom, we're out of a storm. It wasn't Jesus who had to go back and tell everybody. I mean, it had all these witnesses all around who were telling him. And so you hear all these things and you have to make a decision. So I think of this because this is a big deal. John and his disciples weren't condemned for their doubt. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, 
they're condemned. They're condemned because of their doubting. They had so much truth. Truth, again, back to the truth. They had so much truth presented in front of their faces, but yet they would not repent. They would not change the way they think. And I ask myself, now I understand I'm not going to, the great white throne judgment, I'm not going to be there, but I am going to go be before the, 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 the throne of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to give an account for what I've done in the flesh. God has placed so much truth in front of me. What have I done with it? Do I believe it? Am I responding to it? Or am I, again, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving your own self. Am I suppressing it? Am I distracting myself because I don't like that part of the truth? I like Jesus being God. I like Jesus coming and dying for my sins. I like Jesus giving me an eternal life. I like Jesus doing these things for me. But can we stop right there? I really don't want it to change my life. I want to be able to live the American dream. I want to be able to do both. But as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in part of his teaching, you can't what? You can't serve the gods of this world in the true God. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. And so, in this comparison contrast of doubt, I see a group of people who are committed to who Jesus is. They're willing to die for it. John's going to be beheaded. Jesus takes them back to the truth. And I see another group, these represented by these cities, who have the same truth presented to them, and they reject it. They doubt, but their doubt really comes from a heart of wanting to serve themselves. So, are there areas of theology that do not make sense to you? Is there times when you look at Jesus, when you look at God, and you say, that just doesn't make sense? It's okay. It depends on your intent. Doesn't make I mean, I, I struggle with a lot of theology. I know it shouldn't happen because I'm a pastor. I should be dead on and everything. No, I'm not God. I don't have the fullness of it. So I continue to search. But I want to know truth. Do you want to know the truth? What is the basis, then, of truth for you? To what do you turn as your final word? Is it God's word? Is it God himself? Or do you look to Wikipedia? Do you look to the things of the world to give you what is truth? Who is Jesus to you? It's a big, big question. Not just intellectually. But is he a life-transforming God to you? Is there then a need to change the way you think and ultimately change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the Most High God. There is none other. And Lord, we know that in this world there are going to be times when we struggle with doubt, with depression, with confusion. We know that our enemy Satan wants to destroy 
He wants to distract. He wants to confuse us. Because it's all about you. Because he hates you. Lord, help us to be aware of the warfare that goes on around us. Lord, help us to put on the whole armor of God. To have the belt of truth that holds all things together. Having then that breastplate of righteousness, not our own, but yours, Lord, that will protect us in that final battle. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, help us, having put on all these things, to pray for one another with all prayer and supplication. Fervently considering the spiritual needs of one another. Lord, may you be magnified. We know that you love us. We know that you care for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.